0: I invite you to open your Bibles to James, chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Father, we ask now by your Spirit that you would enable us to hear these commands, implement them in our lives for your glory, and our own edification in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, sometimes it's a very small change. We're coming into the new year and people make decisions to make changes. And a very small change can have a major impact. Uh, just think of it, getting up an extra 30 minutes. Maybe you haven't done this and you're going to do that now and get up an extra 30 minutes in the morning. You're going to spend that time in prayer and in, in, in Bible reading. How over a year that would change your life. Uh, I have an example from a friend. He knew he needed the diet, Uh, he knew he wouldn't keep his diet, he knew he needed the exercise and he wouldn't exercise, so what he decided to do was make one small change. He used to go to Dunkin' every morning and get a donut and uh, a cream-filled coffee, and and so he decided he was just going to have black coffee and then bring a yogurt from home, and in in a month he lost 10 pounds. Just a small little change. And it got him some big results. Well, this morning, James is the half-brother of our Lord, as we learned last week, the pastor and the preacher. James, the humble he was called, is calling you to make a little change. In fact, he's commanded you to make a modification in your thinking. And this is the first of many, many commands, as I mentioned last week, that we have here in the book of James. And although it seems like a small thing, a little thing. He's actually commanding us to make a a radical change. It's a change that you'll see. It goes against our very nature. He says, when you are facing various trials, he says, when you are going through these troubles, count it all joy. Count it all joy, my brothers, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds. That's the little radical change in your thinking that James is calling to you to make this morning. Now, to the human eye, one preacher said either James failed to understand reality or he delighted in cruelty. I mean, honestly, his advice seems impractical. It seems unrealistic when someone is going through a terrible, terrible trial It may be a good idea for those minor irritations. You're in traffic. You didn't want traffic. I'm enduring it for you, Lord. But when we face every day, or every day when we face a trial that is major, um, and maybe a life-changing catastrophe, how do we count it all joy? Well, James is clear, though. He's not just speaking of these minor irritations. But in every and any trial that we face, The word various kinds here in the ESV is one word in Greek, and it means diversified, intricate, complex, and manifold. Matthew uses that same word in his gospel in chapter 4 of Matthew to describe any and every kind of sickness dealt with in the healing ministry of Jesus. There was various kinds of sicknesses that he healed. And Paul uses it to describe the unlimited sinful passions of humans. There's many and various kinds of sin that we engaged in. And Peter used it for the endless ways God's grace has proved to be sufficient for our needs. And now James takes that word and he says, In any and every possible trial, no matter what form it takes, when you're in the midst of that trial, you're to count it all joy. Now he's painting a, a very realistic picture. When James says, when you meet various trials, literally he's writing, when you fall in the trials of various kinds. That's how it happens. We, we kind of fall into trials. It's like the man who fell into a, a band of robbers in Luke chapter 10 while traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell into them. It's the same Greek word. Uh, Our trials often catch us unaware, we're we're not sure it's going to happen, we didn't think it was going to happen, so they take us by surprise. One writer says, any day, at any time of the day, some experience of trial is, as it were, lying in wait, ready to leap on us, so that we cry out in surprise, what is this? And in perplexity we ask, why has this happened to me? Now, what I want you to do is kind of imagine you're going through a terrible experience. Maybe you are right now. I don't know. And you're weeping over a tragedy that has befallen you. And you don't know what to do. And so you set up an appointment with Pastor James. You go down and you begin sharing this heartbreaking story what you're going through, the struggles that you're having. Tears are streaming down your face. And so you ask Pastor James for wisdom. And, and with all the compassion of a pastor, he is a pastor, he'll say something like this, I understand your experience. I, I can relate. I've been through trials myself. And here's the vice I have for you, rejoice. Here's the vice I have for you, count it all joy. And, and you're thinking, is that the best you could do? Can you could imagine you come to my office after a tragedy in your life and I say, well, let's rejoice together. Count it all Joy. Literally, count it means deem, regard as, have a settled conviction that the trial you that has befallen you is a case for joy, an occasion for joy. One translator puts it, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders. Welcome them as friends. And that's what James is saying. And it seems so insensitive. It, it kind of seems out of touch with reality. Uh, one, one person said, James obviously didn't go through grief training at the University of Psychobabble. Um, he, he's straight and he's to the point. Take your, consider, your situation, the trial that you're enduring, consider it and settle it in your mind that it's a cause for joy. Anything less, beloved, anything less is disobedience to God. I said last week, James is a preacher, and he's going to be meddling. And he's meddling already. Right from the start here, count it all joy, no matter what the trial may be. Now, before you think, wow, you know, well, he's only one person, and he must be pretty insensitive, uncaring, and out of touch. I mean, let's face it, this guy didn't even believe in Jesus, and he lived with them. Let's remember two other prominent authors in the New Testament. Peter, writing to suffering believers, their faith was being tested by fire, we're told. And he says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering. And then he says, but rejoice. Uh, but Jane, um, the Apostle Paul, that is, says to the Philippians... Uh, He gives this advice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. When are you to rejoice in the Lord? Always. But I'm going through something. Rejoice. He says it in Romans 5. We also rejoice in our sufferings. And so if James is out of touch, then Peter's out of touch. The Apostle Paul's out of touch. In fact, the Holy Spirit's out of touch who inspired the Scriptures. But we know that's not the case. Uh, rather, they are teaching us something that's pretty profound. Something that I said actually when we apply it is life changing. It, it alters your life. See, instead of being divorced from reality, instead of being insensitive to the pain people face, James is calling you to look at life and all its trials and complexity from a different perspective a viewpoint, from a, from a paradigm shift. James understands that you cannot prevent falling into trials. You're going to go through a trial in your life. As I said, some of you may be going through it right now, but you're going to go through a trial in your life, and he knows you, you can do something about how you view the trials. You can't do anything about falling into the trials, and because you can do something about the way you view what's happening, your response can be different. Now, the response he calls us to goes against our instinct, our natural instinct when we go through something that's a surprise, that catches us unaware, and and it's major, and you think, here I am living for the Lord, I'm doing what I'm called to do, and then this happens, we think, why? Why, Lord? Why must this happen to me? But James is saying, look, I want you to, to think differently. Instead of immediately asking the question, why, a question that you may or may not ever get the answer to, which has to deal with the secret will of God, um, why did this event happen? We should immediately acknowledge the revealed will of God, that this has come into my life and I need to submit to it as the Lord by faith. It's not that you can't ask questions. It's not that you can't say, why? Why is that? What's going on? In fact, it may be helpful to ask yourself, maybe there's something in my life that needs to change. It's just that you really can never know. I mean, some trials we go through are obvious why we went through it. If you get in a car, I said this before, if you get in a car accident and drinking and driving, you know that there's the reason for that. Um, but we, most of the time, we just don't know when this thing comes upon our lives or we get the diagnosis we don't want to hear or, or our friend or family member is in trouble, all these things, and, and we don't understand why. We don't know why we face it. If we keep asking why, we'll never know. Why do I have to suffer more than the next person? But you can know something about the trial you're facing, whatever it is, And it has a divine purpose. That's the important thing. You begin there. This has a divine purpose. And so instead of asking why, or even in your worst moments, maybe questioning God's faithfulness to you and getting bitter, James is calling you to look at it differently, to change the way you're thinking when it comes to trials. He wants you to view your trials not from a natural perspective, but from a supernatural perspective. Don't grow bitter. Don't immediately say, why me, Lord? He's saying, rejoice. Count them all joy. That's the biblical response to trials. Now, James doesn't leave us in the dark as to why. He doesn't say, just do it. I don't need to explain anything to you. The Lord told me to say this. Just rejoice. No, he, he, he gives us the command, but he gives us a good reason. Look at verse 3. James will give us the reason for trials. And in verse 4, he'll give us the result of trials. And so we have the response to our trials. The first response, count it all joy. And now we'll look at the, the, the reason for trials, and then we'll focus on the result, the reason. Look at verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. See, the only way you will properly look at trials by counting them all joy is if you have a biblical understanding, a scriptural understanding of what God is accomplishing in your life through the trial. The reason for your trials, according to James, is to test your faith in order to produce steadfastness. A better translation may be endurance. Your trials produce endurance. Your God, our God, is more concerned with our growth as a Christian than he is concerned, he is more concerned with the maturity of our faith and and growth as a Christian than our worldly comfort. Uh, uh, Let me repeat it. God cares more about the quality of your faith than he does the quality of your comfort. See, faith is like gold. It's refined through uh, uh, the trials that we face. And trials are the fire that prove our faith. It, it reveals our true character. I can get up here every week, preach the word, and then I face a trial if I completely fall apart. What does that say about my faith? And, and trials force us to make a choice. Will I trust God and his promises or will I not? You'll never know if your faith is genuine until it stands up under the test. You know, you're on TV, you have ads. And if you notice the ads, they make a lot of claims. You now, bounty, it's the quicker picker-upper. Right? You've heard that commercial. Uh, but it can make all the claims at once until I pick up the bounty roll, I tear off a sheet, and I try to clean up the mess I made. I won't know if the claim is true. And so... Follow that same line of thought. If you claim to have faith, the true test will come when you fall into a severe trial. It forces you to answer the question, do I believe God is in control right now? Do I believe in his providence? It forces you to answer, do I believe that every trial that I fall into comes from the loving hand of my heavenly father to accomplish his purpose in in my life? Or do I believe that this trial... Is a cosmic mistake. And God had his, his back turned on this one. I should have never suffered this. Well, James is clear, of course. He knows and he knows you know. That's why he says, for you know. For you know the testing of your faith. He is convinced that every trial you fall into comes from God and is used by God to test your faith and produce steadfastness. Or as I said, endurance. That word steadfastness is a, in our text is a compound word. It means under, hoopo, and meno, which means to stay, abide, remain. The picture here is that it's someone being under a great load and resolving to stay there. They're holding on to this, this great burden, as it were. A person who endures is a person who does not lose heart under these heavy circumstances. They're, these heavy trials they are called to bear up. One writer says it's called spiritual toughness. See, when your faith is tested by trials, it produces a staying power which enables you to live under pressure. Now, this isn't passive resignation. Oh, well, this just happened. It's a confident stand when you're surrounded by overwhelming pressures, you can imagine an athlete who pushes himself to build up strength and endurance for an upcoming race. I used to be on the swim team. I, I swam the breaststroke. And when I was preparing for the 50-meter breaststroke, I didn't just swim 50 meters. I had to, I had to swim 100 meters. And, 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 and I would practice that so when it came to the 50 meters, it would be a little bit easier. Well, in the same way, when you endure trials by faith, your faith is built up. It's, it's stronger now for the next trial. And you know you can endure because you've already been through it. I made it through the 100 meter. I can do the 50 meter. You made it through the last trial. You can get through the next one. You can count it all joy. And it's a cause for joy. Now, in the beginning of verse 4, we're told how we do this. It says, let steadfastness have its full effect. The word let implies submission to God in the trial. We let God. It doesn't mean we don't pray for relief. It it doesn't mean we don't take steps to get out of the trial. If if the trial you're facing is the loss of a job, it's not, well, i got to stay under the trial. I can't work. No, you try to find a job. That's not the point. You should try to seek the remedy of that trial. But Paul prayed for his thorn to be removed. But he also did not complain, and he was able to endure under it when God said, No, my grace is sufficient for you. See, what James is saying is that you shouldn't look for a quick fix, for an unbiblical way to remove the trial. You know, if you're in school cheating on a test to remove the trial of what? The trial of failing, maybe the trial being punished. Uh, Rather, you should let endurance have its full effect. That has to do with the attitude toward God. In the midst of a trial, you don't shake your fist at God, asking, why me, Lord, and then run to do things your way, to get out from under it. Rather, you submit to God. You don't don't turn away from God. You turn toward him. A great example of this would be Job, right? God afflicted him with many trials, over and over, he lost everything. And then he says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It doesn't mean he didn't ask questions. Keep reading the book. Uh, but that's where he begins. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Our attitude while we're going through the trial is to let our God work in us the endurance that it needs to its full effect. So how do you stand up under pressure? Under pressure. How, how, how do you uh, take it when you're under a trial? Do you submit to God and His will? Or do you sh- uh, shake your fist in anger? Or, or do you endure? Or do you try to run from it? James is saying, look, your faith is genuine. And, and, and if your faith is genuine, it doesn't mean you don't stumble. It doesn't mean that sometimes your reaction is wrong. Uh, but overall, you, you will endure. And if if you endure under the trial, if you can begin with blessed be the name of the Lord, if you can count, Lord, I I don't understand this, but I'm going to rejoice in it because I know something. I know something. It will result in my spiritual maturity. That's the next point. Uh, uh, The result of trials or the result of enduring under trials. It's spiritual maturity. Look at verse 4. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One preacher says God is conspiring in the trials He brings into your life to make you perfect, so that when you stand before Him on the last day, you are as sinless as His Son Jesus. Now, God's grand conspiracy, He says, for you is to make your make you perfect like Christ. Every trial that you face, small ones, big ones. Uh, heavy, heavy burdens. Every frustrating event that you fall into is meant to make you more like Jesus. That's the end game. Uh, That's the goal. That's the result of enduring under trial. Now, we're not going to reach the goal this side of heaven, but as we endure trials, maybe it's a small one, maybe it's a big one, as we endure them We get closer and closer to being conformed into the image of Christ. Or, as James says, we become complete, lacking in nothing. James is saying, in every part of your character, Christian virtues are being displayed. You're lacking nothing. Nothing's being left behind. Every necessary part is present and functioning. See, God is in the process of making us everything we should be as his children. He intends for us to mature in the faith. Now, maybe the best way to get a handle on this, of what James is saying here, is to begin with the end in mind. It's actually always wise to begin with the end in mind. For example, a person's goal will determine the process that they go through. And let me give you a silly illustration, another diet one. Um, surprise, you may be surprised, when I was in high school, I weighed 84 pounds. Um, My freshman year, I was on the wrestling team, and I needed to gain weight. The goal was to gain weight. And so what I needed to do was drink those high-calorie protein shakes they had back then that aren't as good as the ones you have today. And my goal was weight gain. So the process that I took was to eat more calories. But then things change. Now I need to lose 84 pounds. (laughs) And so what... I can't follow the same process anymore. I can't eat those protein drinks and extra calories. I have to eat less. Well, James is saying to you here, if your goal is your own comfort, if that's your goal, then you will despise trials and you'll do everything you can to get out from under them, to avoid them. No matter what the cost, if that's the end game, if that's the goal. However, if your goal in life is spiritual maturity, if your goal is to be like Jesus and you will endure trials with joy, you will count it joy because you know that the trials that are, you're going through will produce endurance and the endurance will produce perfection, You'll begin to see trials as God's tool for producing maturity. That's the paradigm shift in thinking. F.B. Meyer, pastor from yesteryear, explained it this way. He said this, a bar of iron is worth $2.50, he said. But when shaped into horseshoes, it's worth $5.00. Then he said, if it made it into needles, it's worth $175. And if it's made into springs for watches, it's worth $125,000. And then he says, what a trial by fire that bar must undergo to be worth this. But the more it is manipulated, the more it is hammered and passed through the heat, beaten, pounded, and polished, the greater its value. And then he says, so it is with you and I. The more trials we endure, the greater our spiritual value, as it were. Our faith becomes more pure, more polished, more evident, more enduring. That's the goal. We become more like Jesus. Well, let me close. Let me ask another question. It goes back to something I said a moment ago. You see, you really need to examine your heart and ask yourself, is the maturing of my faith what is most important to me? Or is the maximizing of my comfort what is most important to me? You need to ask yourself, now I realize that sometimes it's mixed. We'll realize that. And this isn't to make light of severe trials that we face as if like, well, I don't understand why you're upset. Count it all joy. James isn't saying that. He's simply asking us to make this life-altering paradigm shift. To begin thinking, if I haven't already begun thinking that way, seeing heartbreaking trials through the lens of biblical faith as a way of God shaping me, first and foremost, what is of utmost importance, and then I can count them all joy. And so your response to that question and your response to trials will indeed reveal where you stand. And as I said, sometimes we 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 have a mixed response, right? We want to be mature, nobody's denying that, but I don't I want to do it without trials. And so and and if we're going through that kind of thing where we're we're struggling in the midst of it, probably the best way, and I'll close close, close with this, is is to remember that you have a savior. Who can sympathize with your weakness? See, so you have a Savior who endured the fiery trial of the cross, and He did it for you, and He came out on the other side victorious, securing your salvation. You have a Savior who's given you His Spirit and has given you His Word and has given you His promise to be with you through each and every trial. See, you have a Savior that has promised that someday He will come back and you will no longer suffer trials any longer. And so what better reason could there be, beloved, to count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds? Than knowing that your Savior, our Savior, Jesus, is with us every step of the way in the midst of every trial that we endure. Let's pray. Well, Father, we know we don't like trials. We like things to go smoothly. And yet we are going to face them. Some have endured and setting an example for us. Some of us are awaiting the trial to come. We just ask, Lord, by your Spirit, enable us to, to endure them and count them joy, knowing that you love us so much, you're conforming us into the image of your Son. And We pray in Christ's name. Amen.